Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. So one of the, the, the things that we've been doing is we're going through Genesis for the past eight weeks. We've heard a lot of stories about the creation of the world and the beginning of time. And now as we move from uh, God is huge and ginormous and bold and beautiful, what does it mean to follow him? We zoom in on one family, Abraham. And we get to see what does it look like to follow him. And so far, we have seen a lot of mistakes and a lot of stumbles. So the first story we get to hear about Abraham is how he uh, is leaving his home, what he knows is familiar, and he follows the voice of God. Whew, okay, plus, thumbs up, good job. The very next story is how he sells out his own wife to save himself. (laughs) After that, we get to see Abraham's doubt and the very promise that God offers him. And God says, do you doubt me? Then let me give you a sign that you can understand. And he splits these animals in half. Maybe you remember this. And then Abraham is totally fixed and cured. All doubts are gone. No, no. The very next story is how Abraham, how Sarah, his wife, sells out their servant girl so that Abraham will sleep with her. And she did not ask. She did not get permission. And he does it. This is a really messed up family, and we get to see that God's promise is still being worked out and delivered despite their mess-ups. That God does not need perfection in order for his perfection to be true. That his grace is greater than our plans, our fears, and our doubts. Let me pray for us as we dive into this story. God, you have given us your glory, your goodness, your patience. Be with us this morning as we hear more from the story of Abraham, how we get to approach you, how you invite us into your presence, that we get to be in your presence now. Amen. So I've been playing basketball with this same group of guys for like the past nine years, and I just started getting better is so frustrating. And if you ever played basketball with Adam, he will like conjure up new swear words in your mind because he's so good and it's annoying. I'm so much taller and I still can't block his shot. I, and I'm like trying to, I was thinking about this the other day because I got a backhanded compliment from someone who said, you know, Eric, you're the most underrated player in our group. And I was like, thank you? (laughs) Why is it that I'm like just now starting to find a new stride and get better at basketball after nine years? I was totally expecting it to be after, after one month or two months. And I was thinking about this, and I think it's time and intentionality. That over time, you're, I'm going to get better. And because I started like looking up YouTube videos and practicing some stuff on purpose, that I started to get better. And we get to see something very similar in the life of Abraham, that the point that we started the story to where we are today is 25 years. 
and that the promise that he's been given is you're going to have a son, and he, he does not have that son yet. But we get to see in this story some wild transformation that Abraham is starting to see the heart of God in a way that he hadn't before. It took time, 25 years, and intentionality, him spending time with God and getting to know him and, and listening to him, rather than listening to his own voice or his wife's voice, which has gotten him into a lot of trouble. One of the things that uh, we, I want us to be, be looking at is the very be- first half of the story, where these three guys come and have lunch with them. That's half one. Half two is this like bargaining with God for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So the first half here, if you look at verses one through eight, the story starts with lunch with God under a tree. And that when we start to reread these stories over and over again, we're going to see the patterns and connections to stories that we already read. Lunch with God under a tree looks a lot like the beginning of Genesis where God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That we get to see the story repeated, but in a new way. One of the things that is beautiful about the story repeated is we go, oh, okay, this is clearly a characteristic of God we should pay attention to. But what happens when the story starts to look a little different? Well, in those differences, we get to meditate and go, I wonder why. And maybe over the course of 25 years, we'll find some answers. So then in verse 4, we get to see this intimacy where Abraham says, can I wash your feet? Jump forward to Jesus, and there's this beautiful story where a woman who has felt such disgrace but feels honored by Jesus washes his feet with her hair. And then later, Jesus washes all the disciples' feet showing this intimacy that I love you and I want to be with you. Abraham is doing the same thing with God. He gets to wash his feet. Not often do you get to say that. He gets to wash his feet. One of the beautiful things about this moment is that this is the first time in the Abraham story that we're getting to see that God is is a human character in the story that he is walking with Abraham, he is eating lunch with Abraham, and, and Abraham is, is washing his feet. What is this showing us about who our God is through Abraham? That he is relatable. And that later, we're going to see him be even more relatable when he comes as a person, when he comes as Jesus, and he lives his life in parallel with ours next to us. Whenever we have uh, this moment here in... Um, uh, verse 18, we get to see that he's saying, become, oh, let me see if I can grab my notes here. This is verse 18, chapter, chapter 18, verse 18. Seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation. This is something that is really powerful because we have seen uh, Abraham not be those things. And yet God is still calling him to something that he is not yet. And then the second half of the story with Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to see Abraham finally start to live into what God has called him since the beginning, a blessing to others. So far, he has not been a blessing to others. Selling out your wife, that's not a blessing. We're about to see him move into being a blessing for all nations. Now, when we look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, is that name 
Is that a familiar name to you? Have you heard that name before, Sodom or Gomorrah? Yeah, okay. We might not all know this story, but maybe we've heard that city name before or heard it in the context of something else. God is looking down at them and, and wanting to destroy the city, and we don't really know why in this section, we don't get that description, but we do get to see that later in Ezekiel, it's revealed that what is Sodom's sin? Pride, gluttony, laziness, and when the poor and needy suffered outside, outside her, sorry, outside her door. That doesn't sound too distant from something that we might have done, right? That we get to start to slowly see ourselves in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But if you were to continue reading, uh, we read Genesis 18, if you were to continue reading to Genesis 19, and the stuff that they do is horrible, it's really easy to go, I would never do that. Absolutely. That specific sin isn't their problem. This is their problem. That when they are prospering and they see others who aren't, they forget them or use them for their own gain. Can we see ourselves in that? And then the, the beautiful part about what Sodom is, Lot, uh, Abraham's nephew, his name is Lot, terrible name choice, by the way, <laughs> was living, got to choose which land do you want? And he chose the land that, was, that Sodom and Gomorrah was inside of. And we get to see here that how is that land described? It is described as a garden, like the garden of the Lord. Pointing us back to the beginning, Genesis, uh, Genesis 1, the Garden of Eden. You know, gorgeous. This is land that you definitely want. And yet, the city is definitely not a place to live, as we just saw in Ezekiel. What does this mean? That Lot has chosen a fake Eden. We are choosing or creating fake Edens of our own. And that it becomes a lot easier to relate when we can see ourselves in this. So one of the things that we see that Abraham starts to do is that he starts to tell God about God. God, let me tell you about you. As if he needs a reminder, right? This is way more for Abraham's sake than it is for God's sake. So the question that this half of the story, when he starts bargaining with God, that, that, that number goes from 50 to 45 and all the way down to 10, when he starts that, that movement, that we get to ask the question, does Abraham understand God's heart? And the answer is, finally, yes. He's starting to understand God's heart. So look at verse uh, 23. You, if you have either this or an actual Bible, this is Genesis 18, 23. So then... Abraham drew near to God and said these words, drew near, and God allowed him to. This, God does not need Abraham's counsel. He does not need Abraham's advice, and yet he allows him in his presence. This is the God that we worship, one who is approachable. Jesus comes to us. God is coming to Abraham. We get to come to the God of the universe and bring anything. This is a beautiful moment in the story. And, and then in verse 25, we get to see that Abraham says this, 
uh, far be it from you to, dis- to do such a thing, to destroy the city, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall you not judge all the earth to do what is just? Look at this. Abraham is starting to understand who God is for the first time. And he says it back to him. Abraham is talking to God. We too get to talk to God. We call it prayer. That we can really see this as uh, Abraham's prayers. And that when we don't know what to say in our prayers, we can use these words. God, you are just. You are holy. I do not know what to do. Lead me to a just and holy place. I have created fake Edens. I have used other people for my gain. But you are just and holy. Please, God, come into my presence. You get to use his words. These are his prayers. So then this countdown starts. Abraham starts to... uh, God reveals, if there's 50 people, I won't destroy the entire city for the sake of 50 people, 50 righteous people. And uh, Abraham starts to make this number go lower. And I always read this as Abraham bargaining, you know, kind of like haggling in the marketplace of, can I get a lower price? Can I get a better price? But as I studied and returned to this story, realizing that it's more Abraham exploring who God is. And that maybe, maybe his question is, wait a minute, if there's, if there's 45 people and you were looking for 50, you're still going to destroy it? You're only, you're only five away. And God says, all right, let's, let's do 45. And then the number gets lower and lower and lower, and it gets down to 10. That's the lowest number we get to see. As the reader, we get to infer, wait a minute, does it get down to five, to three, to one? What if there's only one? Because Abraham can see himself in the city. He just sold out his own wife to save his life. That looks a lot like what's happening in the city of Sodom. Wait a minute, God. If I was in this city, would you spare the whole city for me? Is what he's asking. And it's what we get to ask as well. And God's answer is yes. Yes, I would. And ultimately, we get to see yes, he does when he sends Jesus. That, the, that Jesus is the only one who is perfect and righteous and yet doesn't destroy everybody, but instead, Jesus takes on the death. Jesus takes on the cross. And we get to participate in that resurrection. We get to have that new life. Abraham starts asking for a lower number, and he starts to intercede for the people of Sodom. These are people he does not know, but yet can relate to. These are people outside of God's family, and yet Abraham still wants them to receive God's goodness and mercy. We get to see this another time in the book of Exodus that Moses does the same thing. Other people break the rules and break the law, and he says, God, take me instead. Can you think of another person who does the exact same thing? Take me instead. Do not let the wrath, do not let the judgment go on your people, but instead let it go on me. This is Jesus. And actually throughout the entire story of the Bible, we get to see more and more people who do this, who stand in the gap between justice and God. Can, can you think of any stories where someone was standing in the gap between God's wrath and the people? So if you just know the name of someone like, like David or Esther, 
feel free to yell them out. Can you think of any stories where people were standing in the gap? Isaiah, yes. Thick book. Any other people or stories? Esther. Esther, oof. Good, good one, I like that one. That we get to see throughout the Bible that the Messiah that is to come will actually fulfill the perfect intercession because the, the mercy and justice is fulfilled through Jesus. And that the, the justice we can all see is that someone, something has to be punished. There needs to be a sacrifice in order to atone for the sin. We can, we can understand that one. Here's the mercy part that's a little harder to understand. Abraham benefits when this, if the city of Sodom got um, spared because he can see himself in it. Moses benefits if the people get spared because he has done those things too. Jesus doesn't benefit. He is already perfect. He is already God. He does not need the sacrifice for himself, but instead gives it to us. That is the beauty of the mercy, is that it's compassion and forgiveness freely given, not earned, freely given. That is the beauty here. When we look at the Messiah, when we look at Abraham, we're asking this question, is he the Messiah? That God's goodness and glory is coming to earth through a family, and here's the first family we're meeting, so is this the family where we get to see redemption? No, heck no. And instead, the Messiah is in Jesus. And we get to see the same issues in Abraham brought up in Jesus, but actually fulfilled. That we get to look at Abraham's fear, and out of that, he sells his wife out for his own life. We get to see Jesus's fear, and actually he goes to the garden for prayer to lean on God. And Abraham's doubt, it's, the sign that is given to him is not enough to fulfill his own doubt. And in Jesus's doubt, he goes to the garden of Gethsemane right before he's about to die and he prays and he gives it over to God. And finally, out of, his, out of Abraham's plans, because he's like, it's been a while. I need that son that you promised me, God. Where's that son? He creates his own plan and device that doesn't work. And then you get to Jesus who, who says, this will not be my plan, but yours. Not my will be done, but your will be done. That the beauty of Jesus is that he fulfills all of the things that we need and gives it to us freely. This is who Jesus invites us. This is who we are invited to, to Jesus. So when we look at what does it mean, what does it mean to be an Abraham who's interceding on behalf of Sodom, how do we get to do that as well? Are we paying attention to the people around us that we're praying for them? Do we have names in our journals of, of cities, of countries, of, of our neighbors that we're praying for with regularity? They may never know it. Sodom, Sodom would never know that Abraham was asking for God's mercy for them. But yet he did it anyways. God said, you will be a blessing to the nations. And here Abraham is finally doing that. 
living into being a blessing for the nations, for other people. Are we? Do we get to be a blessing for other nations with our prayers, with the way that we come to God? So when we look at, when we look at what it means to, to be like, we're, we are more like Abraham than we are like Jesus. So let's get that straight. You're not living a Jesus life. We would like to, but we are more Abraham than we are Jesus. That it is over many years that Abraham comes to know God. 25 years, and the sun doesn't come until year 26. That's a long time. 26 years ago was 1997. Do you remember what you were like then? You were probably terrible. I'm just kidding. You were probably wonderful. You were probably wonderful. I was terrible in 1997. <laughs> Terry said me too. <laughs> Do you know how, how much you have grown? Do you know how much life change you have gone through in 26 years from 1997 to today? How much, has, how much are we seeing that Abraham has grown in understanding and growing close to God that we too get to do the same? I get frustrated when God is not delivering me in the way that I would like in my timing. Maybe you can relate to that. And that we get to see that it is not our timing and that we walk with God. We do not run with God. We do not taxi with God where we tell him where we're going. But we walk with God. Over time, we're getting to know him. And lastly, Jesus's justice and mercy. Who does that belong to? Who gets to receive that justice and that mercy? That his life, his death, his resurrection are offerings to people. Who is it to? And the answer is everyone. But like, really think about that. Because we've got people in our minds who we think like, but is it for them? But do they count? Like, we get to wrestle with this question, who is Jesus' justice and mercy for? Let, let that like sit with you for a while and like, like journal about that. Write about the people who you think it's for and who it's not for. And now we get to move into a time of communion where we get to see this like actually tangibly held in our hands, his, his justice, his uh, body and his blood and his resurrection, his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy for us. L let me pray for us as we move towards that response. God, we can, we can lean on you when our world is shifting around us. Like Abraham, there are a lot of I don't knows in our life. Abraham doesn't know when the promise of a son is to come. We see ourselves in this too. We see ourselves in the prayers that we think are unanswered, that you think are, you are, we, we think you are ignoring. We don't know. We don't know, God, if you're listening. We don't know what happens next. So we lean on you. We lean on something that we do know. You are God, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. You lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. You forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin.
You do not excuse the guilty, and you hear the people who cry out. You hear us. In your name we pray, amen.